We are continuing in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, and we started on this portion last week, and we're going to continue in this same portion. And we're going to start reading in verse 8. We'll start reading in verse 8 of John chapter 15, verse 8. So we covered a lot of this ground last week. We'll renew a little bit of it and then we'll press on. John chapter 15, verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So he says, let me, let me start reading again in verse 7. If you abide in me and my, word abide in, my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So this is the promise. The promise is you ask whatever you wish and it's done if you're abiding in Him, if you're abiding in Him, because if we are not abiding, it would be a very wicked thing. I don't think the world could last one day if this were literally taken for every believer in Christ, because they would ask for things that would be contrary to His will and things would just start exploding everywhere. He says, you get this when you abide. Then in verse 8, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be My disciples. There is a bearing of fruit that He's called us to. I want you to turn over to Titus. Titus chapter 2. So this is right after Timothy. 1 and 2 Timothy. And then there's Titus chapter 2. And um, we're going to start reading from verse 11. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Now, this is an amazing thing. If you, re- if you were to read this in the, in the New American Standard Version, the entire portion that I'm going to read, verses 11 through 14, are one sentence. In the NIV, it's two sentences. In the Hebrew, it's neither. It's just... They're, 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 it just, it just it, it, I'm sorry, in the Greek, in, in the Greek this would, I don't know how many sentences it is in Greek. In the original Hebrew, which is the Old Testament, there weren't the, these, these easy divisions to pick out. But here, here we see something that's amazing. This is the entire gospel packed into one sentence, or two sentences, depending on the version you're reading. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession, zealous for good deeds. Jesus has saved us to do good works. He has saved us not on the basis of our good works, but He has saved us to do good works. This is what He says. He's called us... And to make us zealous. That means excited to do good deeds. This is what He's called us to. So let's turn back to to, uh, uh, John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, when He says, My Father is glorified by this. John chapter 15, reading from verse verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be My disciples. 
He has called us to do something beyond ourselves. There is a blessing that comes, as we looked at last week, by, by doing good works, by, by bearing fruit. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. So the love is established. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. So there is no question whether God loves us or not. That is established. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. That is an established fact. That cannot change. And and, uh, uh, it's something that I've told my children many times when they were growing up. I would say to them, you are my child, and because of that, I will always love you, and that cannot change. I will always love you. So I wanted them to realize that no matter what they might do in life, that may not be glorifying to God, may not excite me, I will always love them. My love for them will not change. God is the same way. He says that I have loved you just as the Father has loved me. I have always loved. I will. I have also loved you. So when you are in Christ, there is a love that is there that cannot change. That is an established fact. But He says, "Abide in My love." Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. If you keep my commandments, remember, abiding is is somewhat nebulous. It's hard to know really what does that mean. And Jesus reduces it right here. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. There is a keeping of the commandments. The commandments of Jesus, we abide in His love. We're not under the Mosaic Law 613 commandments that were given to Moses. We're under the New Testament commandments. He says, you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. When you step out from this umbrella of protection, he, said, he calls us to abide. He never says, I will make sure you abide and you can never step out of it. He doesn't say that. It is like an umbrella. If we, go under, if we stay under this umbrella, there is this haven of protection. It is when we willingly take a step to step outside of this that we expose ourselves to great attack. It's much like a, a teenager rebelling and saying, I don't want to live in this house anymore. I'm out of here. I'm gone. Well, they have no idea what they're getting themselves into when they leave the security of that home. They'll be leave, living under, under uh, overpasses and very quickly the money will get dissipated and very quickly their lives will start to fall apart when they leave the security of the home. And, and, and uh, uh, it's the same way with us. We will step out of this thinking, I don't want this restriction. Who are you to restrict me? No, I'm not forcing you to do this. You don't have to stay here. You don't have to stay under this abode, under this umbrella of protection. We are free to step out of this any time we want. You step out of it and you will see that it's a harsh and mean world out there and things will become very, very difficult for you. So he says, he says that, that if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. How gracious is this man? He said, I'm telling you this so that you could have joy. I spoke so that my joy, not this joy like the world gives, but my joy would be in you, Jesus says, and that your joy would be made full. This is what he says. 
So look at the promise. How do you maintain a joyful heart? How do you maintain joy in your life? You keep the commandments of Jesus and you will abide in His love. You cannot know the commandments without reading the Word of God. You cannot know the commandments without daily taking the Word of God into your life. And it has to be daily because if it's not daily, we quickly forget. And that's why the Word of God over and over again puts it this way. Day and night meditation or daily meditation. And that is where the power comes from. I want to look at the, at, at the life of David. Turn to, to 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel. This is in the Old Testament, about eight books in. 1 Samuel, and we're going to start reading from, from chapter 22. 1 Samuel chapter 22. And the occasion here is that David is involved in fleeing from Saul, and there is a battle where Saul is trying to kill David for, I don't know, about seven or eight or ten years. It's a long period of time. And David is having to escape, and when he escapes, now a troop starts forming around him. So let's see, who are these great mighty men that started forming around David? 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1. So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. And he became captain over them. Now there were about 400 men with him. This is the beginnings of David's mighty men. But how did they start out? God says, I'm going to provide for you an army. And the men that start coming to be with David are the ones who were in distress. They were in debt, which means that their lives had kind of gone astray and they got in debt. Everyone who is discontented. Have you ever worked with people who are discontented? They hate their job. They hate their work. They hate their boss. They hate their spouse. They hate their kids. They, just everything. And like, would you just get away from me? I just don't want to get infected by you. I mean, working with discontented people is a rough thing. This is what God gave to David. Here's your army, David. David's like, this? They're all in debt. They're all in distress. They're all discontented. This is an army? God says, yeah. I'm going to show you what we're going to do. When you get to the end of 2 Samuel, you can read about the exploits of David's mighty men. It was amazing the things that they would do. I mean, killing 900 people in a, in a valley. You know, one man until his hand could hardly hold his sword anymore. I mean, amazing exploits that would occur with these people. But this is how they started out. So David started with almost nothing. Almost nothing. And not only that, he's the youngest of these eight brothers, and his brothers were always picking, and they show up, and his mom and dad. I've got to take care of my mom and dad too. You know, isn't, isn't dealing with this enough, and I've got to take care of my mom and dad as well? This is how he started out. Now let's look at a, at a very interesting passage in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 3. So, so right after 1 Samuel is 2 Samuel chapter 3, and we're going to be reading from verse 1. Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And David grew steadily stronger 
But the house of Saul grew weaker continually. Second Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. There was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. David grew steadily stronger. The house of Saul grew weaker continually. Saul had a mighty army. Not just 400 men that were discontent and, and in debt and in distress. David started out with almost nothing. And he became continually, continually stronger. He became continually stronger. Saul became continually weaker. Jesus said, you keep my words. If my words abide in you, you're going to have my joy. And your joy is going to be made full. I have spoken with young people that have entered into the faith and then made a conscious decision to go back into the world. And I, and I would meet with them. I would just One day I... I took this young lady out to lunch. Shereen and I took her out to lunch. We said, we just want to talk to you about this. She, said, she started rationalizing. Well, you know, these, these girls that I know, they, they're really very nice. And, 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 and they have boyfriends and they do all these things. But they're fine people. I said, I don't doubt that they're fine people. But for you, you're going to see in time what this is going to bring in your life. Because you have tasted of goodness. You have tasted of the goodness of the Lord. It's not something that you see in a 24-hour period. Give them a few years and you will see it. The house of Saul grew weaker continually. The house of David grew stronger continually. And you see this, where David starts way down here, Saul is way up here. And over a period of seven or ten years, the house of Saul gets so weak, the house of David gets stronger and stronger. This is what walking with Jesus does. It is not something where you see a change overnight. But it is a progression. It is an extended run, not a sprint. It is a long distance run. And I see it. I see it in the lives of many students. They'll come as freshmen and they got the world by the tail and they're excited and everything's going wonderful. And they graduate and they get a job. But I know what's going to be coming in their lives. And give them about five years after graduation, maybe ten. The debts have piled up. The worries of life have piled up. They're not as excited about their spouse as they were when they were in college. And life begins to catch up. And the toils of life begin to catch up. You show me a person that's in the Word of God that will take the Word of God every day and obey it. Take the Word of God every day and obey it. Striving to obey the Word of God. There is a characteristic in their life where I can look at them a decade later and there is the joy of Jesus there. The world has not encroached upon their lives, but they have the joy of Jesus. And this doesn't come by magic. Jesus said, you keep my commandments and you will abide in my love. You keep my commandments and you will abide in my love. How much more could the man have done? How much more explicit could he have been? This is not a secret anymore. He has laid this thing out. You want his joy? You want his joy in life? If you don't know him, come to know him. Receive him in your life because you cannot do this without him. And then you take this 
and you start walking in it in daily meditation on the Word of God. Without this, you will lose your power. Without daily being in the Word of God, you will lose your power. And I see it all the time, and I talked about it last week, where I know ministers. I know people who preach the gospel, people who are ministers in churches. And they are weak and devoid of strength. Their, their, their messages show it. Their life shows it. And I ask them, see, you, you know, here you are coming to me, telling me about all this distress that you're in. Let me ask you this. Do you read the Scriptures daily? Say, no, I don't have time for that. They said, well, that's why you're so weak. You don't have time for it. Change your life schedule and make time for it. Tell your people you can't get there so early in the morning. You've got to spend time with the Lord. Without that, you'll be without power. The Word of God is power. Power comes upon us to live a life that is dedicated to Jesus. Let's look in... in uh, in, in 2 Corinthians, I'm, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul speaks about this. First Corinthians chapter 4. Let's start reading from verse 19. 1 Corinthians 4.19. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. There is a power that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit that will fill a life. That will give us victory. It may not be something that we see on a day-to-day basis, but then when we look back over our lives, over years, we look back and we say, wow, what have you accomplished, Lord, through me? It is the power of God that comes. And without the Word of God daily in our lives, you will be devoid of power. And what happens in the ministry is they give you these little text booklets to share in your, in your, in your class. And you're a youth minister and you get this little booklet. Here, all you've got to do is read these portions and recite it. And that's, that's the passage. And it's devoid of power. Because unless you've taken the passage and you've wrestled with it, where you take the passage and you come before it and you say, Lord, this is the passage. Speak to me through this. Speak to me. Lord, give me the lesson from you. Speak to me. And this is what I tell you. This is how I was instructed in the Word of God. When I was your age, my pastor told me, you take the Bible, the Word of God, and you come alone and you say, Lord, speak to me through this passage. Speak to me. And you read it, and if there's nothing... Lord, speak to me. I'm not hearing anything. Speak to me. And then the Lord begins to speak. I was just with a man yesterday, a Jewish man, who recently has come to the Lord. And he said he heard one of my messages online where I was speaking the very thing that I just told you, how God speaks to you through the Word of God. He said, I tried many times to read the Scriptures. It never made sense to me. He says... I sat right there in my own home at the bottom of my steps early in the morning and I picked up Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, starting to move my way through, through the Bible. And I started to read and I said, Lord, speak to me. He said, it came alive. This is what happens. The Word of God has power to change a life. 
has power to change a life. You pick it up, your life will change. Without this, you just go through the motions. And when you go through the motions of something, it, you will quickly become tired of it. And you'll say, what good is this? And what good is it? You take the Word of God and you allow it to speak into your life. And if you are too busy to read the Word of God, you change your schedule. You change your schedule so that you can spend time in the Scriptures. And if it's just a passing little thing where you just you know, touch the waters like, 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 like the wing of a swallow or something, and you just jump into it, you'll quickly just jump out of it too. You have to take time with it. Say, Lord God, speak to me. And this will change your life. And there is great reward in this. And there is joy in this. You want the joy of God? You wonder, why, am I, why aren't I joyful? You take the Word of God and you bring it into your life and you will be joyful. I don't know about everybody, but I know about some people that are like me. If I were to go just even a day without the Word of God, my attitude starts to change for the worse. It doesn't take me long at all to start becoming cynical about everything. That person, look what they did. They cut in front of me. Look what that person did. They, they dropped that piece of paper on the ground. Oh, man. Look at that person. They're just you know, driving, out, driving that big truck. Four-wheeler. Just one little person in it. You know what they're doing to the environment? Everything, everything becomes bad in life. You take the Word of God and you start to fill your life. And the Word of God will start to fill your life and the joy of the Holy Spirit will begin to fill you and to begin to change your life. The joy of the Word of God will change your life. Let's turn back to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. I'm sorry, John chapter 15. John chapter 15. He says in verse 12, John chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friend. And if we skip down to verse 17, this is my commandment. This I command you that you love one another. This is the bookends on this paragraph. He commands us in verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. The Old Testament commandment was, Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, well, I hate myself so I can hate my neighbor. But what he does in the New Testament is he elevates this. And he elevates it that just as he does with all of his commandments above the Old Testament law. He says, You are to love them as I have loved you. So regardless of what you think of yourself, you are to love them as I have loved you. This is what he says. We are to love our neighbor as he loves us. He's elevated the commandment in the New Testament. Now here he goes again. We have looked at this before. Before he said, it says that, that he commands us in the Old Testament, he commands us to love God. He commands us to love God. Here, He commands us to love our neighbor, to love one another. He commands us to love one another. The strangest thing, you can command anything except love. 
You can command me to carry something for you. You can put a gun to my head and command me to do something. But you can't command me to love. I mean, that's the one thing you can't command. And that's the one thing God commands. He commands us to love Him. And here He commands us to love one another. This, I command you to love one another. This is an imperative. He's not saying, it would be nice if you did this. It would be a good thing. You'll be happier and we'll all be happier if you did this. He doesn't say this. He says, I command you. This is my commandment. Remember what he had just said? If you want to abide, you keep my commandments. That's what it means. Let me start with this commandment. You are to love one another. I command you to love one another. What's unusual about God that nobody else can do this. Nobody else can command us to love. There's a couple of things. And one is that He demonstrates His love toward us in His dying for us. He demonstrates His love toward us. And the other thing is He's commanding us to do something that we have the ability to do. We have the ability to do this. And He commands us to do it. He does not put upon us that which we cannot do. He expects from us that which He empowers us to do. What kind of God would command us to do something that He knows we cannot do? He commands us to do something that He knows that we can do. And there are many times that I have prayed, Lord, love that person through me, I pray. There is nothing in my heart for them. Love them through me, I pray. And then you allow God to love others through you. This becomes particularly hard for those that have been physically abused sometime in their life. Sexually abused sometime in their life. To love as He has loved us. It does not mean you have to have a relationship with this person. It does not mean that you have to make them your friend. But there is something that the heart attitude has to change. This is what He commands us to. He commands us to things that He has given us evidence for that they are truth. Turn to to, uh, Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. You'll see something that's, that's complementary to this. Something that he calls us to in Acts chapter 17. We're going to be reading from verse... Let's start reading at verse 30. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to, to men that all people everywhere should repent. Because He has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom He has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising Him from the dead. He has furnished proof to all men by raising Jesus from the dead. Well, where's my proof? Where's my proof? I I wasn't there in the first century when Jesus was raised from the dead. I never saw it with my own eyes. God says He has furnished proof Proof to all men by raising Him from the dead. This truth He has placed within the hearts of all men and women. He has placed this in our hearts. 
to be able to take this. And this is why He can set it as a requirement for salvation. For salvation, you don't have to believe in the virgin birth. You don't have to believe in Adam and Eve. You, you don't have to believe in most things that are there in the Bible. But what you do have to believe, according to Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, is that you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that He's risen from the dead, and you shall be saved. And you shall be saved. Confessing that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart. That means a heartfelt belief that He's risen from the dead. And then you shall be saved. So why people say, well, I, I don't think that's pers- that person's a Christian. Well, I'll find out. And I ask them. Do you believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? And if they believe, and they're willing to say, Jesus is Lord, that's it. For me, if you have a higher standard, that's fine. But that's the standard that Paul put forth. The resurrection from the dead. And because he has furnished proof to all men, he says, I command you to love one another. Because he's given us the ability to do this. And there will be people in your life that will hurt you and do worse than hurting you. They will hurt one's that you really love. They will hurt your family. And Jesus calls us to something different. Something different. It's a commandment. I command you to love. The one thing that nobody can command you to do, God commands us to do. Because He gives us the very power to do it. And He understands that in love there is life itself. You want His joy in your life? You pray, Lord, give me love for this individual. He commands us to do something. Where the bar is so high, the Old Testament bar was, He commanded us to love Him. The New Testament bar is, I command you to love one another. We live under a higher standard because we're under a better covenant founded upon better promises, and He gives us the ability to walk according to His Word. If you will take the Word of God and come every day with the Word of God and say, Lord, speak to me, and read it systematically where you take a book and you read your way through the book, and it wouldn't hurt you because you're well old enough to do this, to pick up from Genesis chapter 1 and start reading your way through all 66 books from beginning to end. Wow, that's a lot. Grow up, all right? You're in college. You can certainly read a book, all right? You pick it up and you read it. And every portion that you are in, you say, Lord, speak to me. Say, well, I'm stuck in, these, in these, uh, these genealogies. I don't see anything here. If you say, I don't see anything here, you will see nothing there. But if you say, Lord, drop in treasures to me as I read these genealogies. And start helping me to see the patterns and the people and who was the parent of whom and what was the outcome of their lives. Did the child rebel from what his parents had instructed him? Or did the child then walk in something higher than what his parents had walked in? For example, Manasseh and Josiah. What was it? What brought about this change? And you will see with Josiah, it was the Word of God brought about that change. 
You ask the Lord to speak to you from whatever passage you are in. And He will speak. That I'm confident of. And the next day you pick it up and you start reading again from where you left off. And you will have His joy and ability to walk in His commandments. Let's pray. Abba, come now, I pray, and speak to our hearts and confirm Your Word upon our hearts, I pray Thee. Confirm Your Word upon our hearts. Speak to us richly from Your Word. Father, for those here that know You, that have neglected Your Word, or never even prayed, Lord, speak to me through the Scriptures. Lord, I pray that You draw them into a place of obeying You and walking according to Your commandments, that they would daily pick up Your Word and be filled. Father, I pray that they would choose to abide under Your umbrella of protection, that they would abide with You by keeping Your commandments, and that they would experience Your joy, true joy, so that year by year they would become stronger. Father, make them stronger year by year as they get into Your Word and keep Your commandments. Father, let them understand the power that comes through Your Word, the power that comes through knowing You and walking with You. Let them understand the power that Paul speaks about For the kingdom of God does not consist of words, but of power. Lord, let them experience your power in their lives. Power over weakness. Power over sin. Power over anger. Power over pornography. Power over lust. Father, have mercy on them, I pray. Father, for those here that do not know you, that have not the access to this, because they are slaves to the devil, as the Scriptures say. Father, I pray that they would open up their hearts and pray this very day. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, forgive me and come into my life. Save me, because I am a sinner. Indeed, Jesus has risen from the dead. Thank you, Lord God. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, I pray. Lord, I pray that you draw these precious ones to your Son for the glory of Jesus. Amen.